It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. John Schmelk, Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you. The phone number is 201-939-4513. Or you can check us out on Twitter at hashtag GiantsChat as the Giants get ready to take on the Miami Dolphins on Sunday. Much at least to my surprise, Joe Judge very candid with the media today when he addressed them about an hour or so ago, saying that Daniel Jones has not been cleared for contact and he will not start on Sunday against the Miami Dolphins. Uh, does not know how much longer this injury will last, how much longer he'll be out. That remains to be seen. They don't know, to be quite honest, is, is basically what he said. So it'll be Mike Glennon as the Giants' starting quarterback on Sunday. And guys, I warned everybody about this at the end of yesterday's show, and I was on with Jeff Fiegels that, you know, don't take the limited in practice stuff that seriously because there's no contact in practice. And a neck injury, contact can be a really big deal there. So uh, the doctors have not cleared him, and we'll see when they do. As for Mike Glennon being the starting quarterback, he knows the offense, he knows the system. I don't think they'll have to limit what they do in any way in that regard. But I think the one thing we can all agree on is that Glennon is probably a guy that's not going to get the ball out quite as quickly as Daniel Jones, and he's also a guy that's not as mobile as Daniel Jones, which against the team that blitzes more than any other team in the league, has the third highest or second highest, I think, average time to pressure in the NFL, which means they get there quickly. Probably not what you're looking for, but Glenn has been in the league a long time. He's a lot of experience, but it'll be a tough challenge, Lance, against a very aggressive Dolphins defense on Sunday. Yeah, the other thing I would add in terms of what changes with Mike Glennon starting is if you're Miami, as you mentioned, they're going to blitz regardless of who the quarterback is. But I think if you're Brian Flores and Josh Boyer, their defensive coordinator, I think you're willing to take even more risks on Sunday because you're not worried about the quarterback leaving the pocket and running wild on you. And remember, they went up against Lamar Jackson a few weeks ago, and that didn't stop them. So once again, I don't know if it's going to drastically change things, but if I'm the Dolphins' defense, I'm willing to go after Mike Glennon even more because his escape ability is nowhere near yep. Daniel Jones. So I think that has to be taken into consideration. But yeah, as you mentioned, there's a polished vet. This is an individual that's been in the NFL for quite some time. I thought he handled himself quite well when he came in for Daniel Jones against the Dallas Cowboys in Week 5. They don't necessarily have to change or fine-tune the system. It's just, once again, you're losing that mobility factor and that guessing game because Daniel obviously is a threat to run. So it's a little bit different in terms of now what the defense has to anticipate. They don't need to worry about the escapability of the quarterback. And once again, I, I would expect Miami to be very aggressive on Sunday as a result of this change. Yeah, fellas, you know, Football 101 says the most important guy you could have obviously without picking up the blitz with blocking, is your slot receiver. And the theory behind that is because the slot guy is the guy who, in theory, is the shiftiest and the quickest and can get open the fastest. He's not probably getting pressed. He also is closer to the quarterback than any of the other receivers on the field. Okay? So this is just football 101, I'm, I'm telling you folks. The slot guy is always the most important receiver against a heavy blitz team. Now, when I looked at practice today during the media portion, Sterling Shepard was in full gear and doing all the individuals, running all the ghost routes. He was taking all the passes. He was sprinting full speed. In fact, he was even dancing and juking to some of the music going on out there. Now, does that mean he's going to play? I can't tell you that. But 
that would be very, very, very important for Mike Glennon because, A, I didn't see Kadarius Toney out there today on the practice field. So I'd say his chances are probably none to play this weekend, and he would be the other slot option. Farrell Cooper is obviously going to be an option. And John Ross... I'll be frank with you. I don't remember seeing him out there this morning. Others have, have been. said he was out there. Did they say yes. he was mm-hmm. there? I, I don't remember seeing him out there. Uh, but, again, Ross is another guy who might be able to fill that role if Shep's not out there. But there's no question. He is, Sterling Shepard, would be a major key to be a security blanket for the quarterback. All right, so let's talk about this now, guys, the matchup. Very quickly on both sides of the ball, we'll open up the phone's tail. If you want to start screening, you can. 201-939-4513. So we've talked about some of the challenges here. We know about the Dolphins' blitz attack, highest blitz rate in the league. It goes up even higher. They blitz more than half the time, over 50% on third downs. So it becomes even more drastic. Uh, They're not great on third down in terms of percentage-wise. They give up some big plays, too, against the blitz. But in addition to handling that, and obviously that's on the offensive line, the quarterback pre-snap to work together, know where the blitz is coming from, block it up, where to go with the ball, getting it out quickly. The other part of that equation is what Paul was just talking about. Can the receivers get separation against two really good outside cornerbacks in Byron Jones and Xavier Howard? You know, Howard, his numbers don't look great, but a lot of that came early in the year when he was banged up. Byron Jones has been a guy Giant fans are very familiar with. He's played against the Giants a lot. He's a big, physical, long, press man cornerback. So can these Giants receivers get enough separation where when the blitz comes, Daniel Jones, or rather Mike Glennon, has somewhere to go with the football? Because this isn't a defense where they're going to blitz and then give a cushion. No, this is a defense where they're going to blitz and they're going to be press manning and they're going to be bumping the line of scrimmage. Can these guys get enough separation to make the Dolphins pay against that blitz? Because here's the problem. When you play the blitz, guys, it's very hard to methodically move the ball up and down the field because eventually a blitz is going to get home and it's going to torpedo your whole drive. You need to get big chunk plays. Either run after the catch, over the top, in the run game, screens. Screens could be a big part of this game against the blitz. You name it. So can the receivers... Get enough separation, Lance, to make the Dolphins pay, or Paul, for sending all these guys and playing a lot of that cover zero man-to-man, no safety help, and putting their cornerbacks out there on an island. I'll take that one first because I disagree with your philosophy in a certain instance. Across the board, for the most part, you're right. However, where, where you're not is when you have a mismatch of a size in a wide receiver. Galladay against Howard is 6'4 to 6'1". Um, Howard this year has been given up the shortest average yards per catch pass completions of his career because he cannot play as aggressively as he wants to because they go cover zero so much and he's got to give a little more cushion. He's given up a ton of short passes in front of him. He's willing to give that up. Now against the blitz, what you do is you go with the quick slant, you go with the quick drop step. You go with the wide receiver screen. But all of this only applies if you have a mismatch of a longer, taller, more physical wide receiver. I guess my question for you in that regard, in not, 80% of the time, right. you're right, though. No, no, and I totally get where you're coming from. I guess my question for you would be, knowing what Galladay's advantage of, since Howard would not be afraid of Galladay's speed and him running by him, 
And I think that's fair to say, right? I don't think he would be concerned about Galladay burning past him with the speed. I don't think so. Would he be? Would he play more aggressive in that case and not give him that cushion at the line of scrimmage? The, the reason I would probably say no is because Galladay doesn't need speed to be able to beat Howard on a medium range to deep slant. He will use his body to beat him. Right. Right. I got you. Because, and this, this is why it's a unique situation. What you said applies most of the time but not all of the time, because this is a very unique guy we're talking about in Galladay's physical characteristics. And thank God for Howard that he's 6'1", because if he was a 5'10 or 5'11 corner, this would not be good for him at all. Well, how about this? Let me let me turn this on its head then. If you remember when Byron Jones was with Dallas, they mm-hmm. would sometimes put him on the opposing team's tight end because he was so long and physical. Correct. Do they go Jones on Galladay because he brings that length and physicality? Ah, it's a good good question, right? It's an interesting question. I don't sense that because from what I understand, and we didn't ask this of Joe Shad, did we, on the podcast? I I don't think you asked if if, if Howard traveled. I don't think we did, but Howard Howard does a lot of traveling. Well, let me see. I I, I can look at their splits left and right right now. I'll let you know. If you you have that number, John, that would be helpful. I'll check it, yeah. The, The stuff that I saw showed him traveling a lot. So I suspect he will be on Galladay. Now, if we're to believe that Galladay is going to be on tap for more targets as he was last week when he got seven, which is one of only three times he's had seven, right? Uh huh. If we're to believe that, that Galladay is going to be a featured part of this offense, well, you're going to want him to get him the ball. Right. All right. Well, I have the numbers here. What's Do you the want split? Them? What's the split? So it's it's pretty stark, actually. Left cornerback Xavier Howard's been there on 495 snaps. Okay. Right cornerback just 106. Okay. So that means the time I saw was in the minority. Times. Yeah. He's he's been on the left, literally 80 percent of the time. Actually, more than that, almost like 85 yeah. percent of the time. Now, the theory still applies though, because Galladay will have a size advantage or a physicality advantage over, I believe, any of the corners that the Dolphins put out there. Now, if I remember right, so if, and Lance, correct me if you think I'm wrong here, Galladay usually lines up on the left side yes. of the Giants yeah. formation. Correct. So, usually been. so yeah. if correct. Howard's playing left cornerback, He's, that puts him on the right side of the Giants correct. formation. It would. Yeah. yeah. So it depends now on whether or not they travel him. But now, right. if you go to the other side, I haven't checked. What 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 are, what are Jones's... What are Jones's dimensions? I don't think he's. I think he's a six. I don't think You're he's talking about Byron than six. Jones. Yeah, Who are we talk about six. Byron Jones is. Byron Jones is six foot two oh five. He say he is six feet right, which is what I just said. He's yeah, six, but he's, he's very long. He's very yeah. long though. So they may. It's in your in theory, John. They may decide to go with Jones on him, but either way, it's still a mismatch. Galladay's physicality, his frame, his strength, his length. All gives him an opportunity to run a certain cluster of routes right. as the hot well, receiver. And Glennon then also has to be willing to throw that ball in the coverage to trust this guy to make Correct. catch. Correct. There's no, right. This all goes no. without saying. This is a good conversation. I like this. But, good. but you know, we're talking here, you know, game planning and philosophical. How do you attack based on what they have and what you have? And so the slot receiver is always the most important guy against a heavy blitz, but the other guy who can be in the hot read situation, is the mismatched wide receiver. No, a lot also depends on whether or not Shepard or Tony play and what the Dolphins think is the biggest threat. I mean, let's not forget about that. If the Giants don't have all their wide receivers out there, that may give Miami some more flexibility because then really they're debating who do we put on Darius Slayton and who do we put on Kenny Galladay. 
And I would say Slayton is more of a threat to go deeper down the field than Galladay is. So the Dolphins need to ask themselves who could keep up with the vertical threat versus who's more physical to play Galladay at the line of scrimmage. And maybe they mix and match. I mean, I think Jones has the length to me to better contend with Kenny Galladay. So I would lean more towards putting Byron Jones on him and then having Howard maybe to take away any potential deep threats that the Giants are going to throw his way. That's how I would tackle it if I was Miami. The question that I haven't asked anybody yet, and I'm guessing, are we going to get Mike Lennon today? I'm, I will be getting Mike Lennon later, and you should you be will. getting him at, at the postgame. Pro- yeah, I'll, okay. I'll, yeah. But by the way, folks, go check out the John Tuttle podcast. I'm doing Glennon right after the show, and that'll be doing? our player interview on the preview, and that'll be Excellent. on our radio pregame show too. Well, if it doesn't get asked at the podium, ask him this on the pregame show. I don't know what is his feeling about the back shoulder throw because that can be a very useful weapon. Against man-to-man, yep. Against man-to-man. Feagles and I talked about talked a lot about that yesterday. Especially, I don't care which one of these six-foot corners is going against Galladay. You put him in a situation to catch an 8- to 10-yard back shoulder throw, that should be there all day if he wants it. The Paul, the, but I just don't know if, I don't know what Glennon's propensity is to throw it. The Paul Dottino skyscraper theory is going to be put to the test this week. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Let, let's test the Dolphins with it. Let's go. All right, I want to jump, Lance, really quickly. You have some callers on hold. I want to get to him the other side of the ball. Um, Dolphins offense, very quickly, a lot of short passes, a lot of play action, a lot of RPOs. They use some of that pre-snap motion stuff, Lance. They get rid of the ball quickly. Their offensive line has struggled just as much, if not more, than the Giants' offensive line has this year. So I think I think the Giants are, you know, I think they're going to have to be a little bit more aggressive defensively, not allow a lot of those short, easy completions, because that is what Miami's looking for. And I think you want to make Tua try to make some you know, big plays with his arm down the field, which is something he hasn't done a ton of this year. Yeah, it reminds me. I mean, granted, Tua is not Tom Brady, but Miami has that philosophy where they'll dink and dunk all day long and they'll rely on their guys to get yak yardage because Jalen Waddle, the reason why he's having such a good rookie campaign is he's doing a lot of the heavy lifting after the catch. And Tua's put him in that position. A big part of the Dolphins' philosophy, I was actually listening to what Brian Flores had to say this week, is they've been coaching him to throw the ball into a certain spot to allow accuracy, number one, and then, B, allow guys to get out in open space. Now, Devontae Parker, in all likelihood, is going to return this weekend. He's a guy that could take opposing corners deep down the field. Does Tua now take a few more chances down the field because he has the personnel? I think that's something to monitor. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Giants, you know, don't bring an overwhelming amount of pressure and they just say, we're going to keep everything in front of us. Missed tackling is going to be something to watch because if you can't cradle Jalen Waddle immediately, he's a guy that's going to turn a five-yard catch into a 15-yard gain. And then Mike Gesicki is also a guy that could do a lot of damage. So those are the two players, Waddle and Gesicki, and then how much Parker plays in the event that he's active, how much they throw him out there. That, to me, would be to his main vertical threat. Waddle's not a guy that's going to go for the home run so much. He wants to get him in short yards and then allow him to get that yak stuff. That's the biggest threat in terms of what Jalen Waddle presents. You know, John, the one thing that we know about both of these offenses, they've got struggling offensive lines. And they really don't run the ball very well, even though the Dolphins have tried to use that a little bit more lately to and, balance their four-game winning streak. And those issues might be connected, by the way. They sure could. <laughs> <laughs> I think they go hand yeah. in hand. Yeah. They sure could. And so neither of these defenses are going into this game thinking that that is the top priority. Oh, you know, we got to worry about this power running attack. They always want to stop the run first, but with these two offenses, I don't necessarily know how much that applies. Look, Tua has the 
fourth fastest average time to throw in the league this year, behind only Brady, Roethlisberger, and Colt McCoy. Three veterans, not a surprise, they get rid of the ball quick. Um, he is the third shortest average depth of target, 6.9 yards. Again, protecting against a bad offensive line. They're on RPOs more than every other team in the league except for three. Only 9% of their deep passes, um, that's 20 more yards down the field. They're only 9% of them are, are, are deep passes of his attempts. Mm-hmm. Fifth lowest rate in the league. So, look, Tua, he's a smart player. He's accurate in short areas, but he's not a guy with a big arm. Like, if you want to think about how he plays, think about how, like, Chad Pennington plays or Drew Brees plays. Again, I'm not saying he's at that level in terms of execution ability, but style that's what you're looking at. He's probably a little bit more mobile than those guys. But he will be able to just hit those short area things really, really quick and just be happy to do that. Hit the running back a lot. Uh, Gesicki, uh, rather, Gaskin is their third leading receiver. Yep. Uh, Lance yep. already mentioned Gesicki. So they will do that again and again and again. I'm curious to see how the Giants adjust to that if they're willing to just remain in their deep posture whether it's cover three or cover two or cover four or whatever, and just be content to keep everything in front yeah, of Yeah, I think the Giants will continue to go with their umbrella. I really do. I, I don't see any reason to change it because I don't think that the Dolphins' run game will take them out of it. Now, the other thing, John— Right, their run game might, but, but would a steady diet of six-yard passes to Miles Gaskin do that? They probably could live with that. Okay. You know, well, they might that, be able to. You're think, right. Thinking that at some point, Tua will make a mistake. Right. You know, but but I think the one thing I want to build off of what you just said, that's the other thing the Giants don't have to worry about is that Glennon can make all the throws. Yeah, he has a very strong arm, throws a terrific spiral, and can get the ball downfield. There is no question about his zip on the ball or his ability to throw it long. The question is, will he have time to do it? <laughs> we don't know that. Yeah, right. We don't know that. Yeah, especially if they bring some secondary players. Because remember, the Dolphins have six sacks from their secondary. Forget the rest of the team. They have 28 (laughs) sacks, but six of them have come from the secondary, which is a pretty high number for defensive backs, and they're willing to bring those guys. The other thing that's important to note, just in terms of the Dolphins' offensive philosophy, and I go back to tackling in this game. I think tackling is extremely important for the Giants. I agree. I'm with you. Because if there's some mistackling, and that's why I brought up the Tampa Bay game, and I'm not making a comparison between two and Tom Brady, but the Giants had missed tackles against the Bucks, and that led to some big gains and kept Tampa Bay in some favorable third downs and distances. So if you're going to have that shell philosophy, that's fine. I have no problem with that. But you better make sure you bring the guys down once they make the catch. Because if you don't do that, then two is going to get extremely comfortable and the Dolphins are going to have no reason to adjust. So tackling, to me, is going to dictate a lot about how the Giants' defense plays and on Sunday. one other thing defensively for the Giants, guys, we should bring up, while Logan Ryan's back, which will help, Yes. N- no Darnay Holmes. And... As of now, I think we are assuming that Adoree Jackson's not going to play given his lack of practice activity you don't know. so far this week. So who the hell are the second and third quarterbacks here? I mean, look, if you want to be missing quarterbacks, this is probably the team to be missing quarterbacks against. It's not going to kill you. But if Devontae Parker's back all of a sudden, yeah, he's a legitimate things. contested catch deep threat. He's a big dude. So who's that second guy and, frankly, third guy after Bradbury? Well, I, I think it would be Robinson. And love. Right. And J.R. Reed could see some reps, too. Would you, would you back. trust him over Julian Love? No, no, no. I wouldn't. No, but I I'm wouldn't. saying that that could be somebody else that they turn to. Do you think in... Love goes outside or inside, Paul? I think Love probably goes outside. And Robinson stays inside? I would think so. Remember, Robinson has had more practice time inside than yep. outside. Well, but true. then last week, they were in a position well, where— had to. 
They had well, to throw Dory him outside. Got yeah. And he did well. But I think with a week of practice, I think they would probably be more apt to put Robinson inside. I agree, and I think they trust Julian Love to do whatever they need him to. That's yeah. why he's duct tape, right? Exactly. Yep. All right, guys, let's get to some calls. 201-939-4513. 201-939-4513. I'm going to have to bounce at around 105 to do these interviews with Mike Lennon and uh, head coach Joe Judge. That you'll hear again on the Giants Huddle podcast. Make sure you guys go out and subscribe to that podcast. Guys, don't forget, if you want to get 2022 season tickets, there is an opportunity. All you need to do is put down a $100 deposit. Limited seats are available. Speak with the Giants ticket representative now and become a season ticket member by calling 888-NYG-1925. And the Delta variant is spreading quickly in all areas of New York State. People who are not fully vaccinated are at greater risk from COVID-19. Protect yourself. Get vaccinated. Visit ny.gov slash get vaccinated or talk to your health care provider. All right, let's go to Donnie in Astoria. He will lead us off today. Donnie. Hey, happy Friday, guys. You too, man. What's Hi. up? Well, I think this, the saddest part of Daniel being out this weekend is, to me, I don't even think that the Giants' path to victory really changes all that much and thinking forward from a human perspective obviously you want Daniel to, to feel better and get back on the field but it might not be the worst thing if he misses two or three games and we kind of see if there's a difference with Glennon who I think we'd all agree is a you know, journeyman backup you know Daniel's not in the best situation everybody knows that but if Glennon comes in and things are the same or even better it, it, it is an evaluation tool you know, for Daniel and, and what the Giants decide to do with him moving forward with that uh, fifth-year option uh, coming up this summer where they have to make that decision. Um, and then last thing, and I'll take this off the, the air, but is it me or is the NFL – I know Paul's going to agree with this, but the NFL product in general is just not good right now. I mean, don't don't give that him. soapbox to Detino. What are you doing to me, Donnie? I don't want to hear that two-minute speech what? again. I got to get Paul. He's right. <laughs> I, I watched the Knicks, the Knicks game. I'm not even a Knicks fan. That Knicks game was so much more enjoyable than that Cowboy game. There's too many bad teams. There's bad coaching. They've basically legislated practice out of the equation. The officiating stinks. And I honestly believe the Red Zone Channel was a bad day for the NFL. Where in the past, like we got our local games, right? You get the Giants and the Jets, maybe one other game, and you had the night game. Now, you know, if the Giants had four, I watch Red Zone at one o'clock, and you realize some of these eight and three, seven and four teams, I'm like, this team stinks. <laughs> you know, like the Baltimore Ravens are eight and three. They're not good. They're not a good team. The Cow- I'm, I'm watching the Cowboys last night. I'm supposed to think that that's a good football team that's throwing interceptions up 20 to 10 with a few minutes to hey. go. They're throwing every down. Hey, Dad, thanks a lot for calling. I'll be over for dinner yeah. later. <laughs> yeah. Paul, <laughs> well, I'll see you later, buddy. <laughs> Have a good weekend, guys. Thank you, Donnie. Appreciate that, that's, the call. that's really not my dad, John. I know. Paul, can you shorten your soapbox speech no, to 30 I, seconds? I, there's no reason for me to even comment oh, on that. even better. He is a long-term listener. He gets it. He understands it. And I, I applaud him. Lance? Well, I just completely disagree with that because I just think it's a product of complementary football in terms of teams not being that far apart from one another and the competitive balance that we've seen. I don't think it's any different than what we've seen in previous years. Well, just because well, one team is not last. running away with things this year doesn't mean it's a bad product. I don't think this year, and I think there are a couple of exceptions. I think maybe the Bucks are an exception to this because I think they are really, really good. Um, I don't think the best teams this year and the teams I would consider the elite teams are as 
good all-around teams and are as dominant as we've seen some other best teams in the league in years past. You know what well, I'm saying? I mean, that's certainly possible, but I, I just, you know, a lot of the teams up top have been dealing with injuries. For example, well, Arizona true. hasn't had Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. The Bucks secondary's been banged up. Dallas didn't have C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper, Demarcus Lawrence, Randy Gregory. I mean, I could go on and on. So, you know, that's going to impact the product when you have the top-tier teams losing some key ingredients so you know sure. I don't and listen I watch enough national football because I cover the league and I see a lot of different teams and I think it's a little bit more balanced this year than previous years if right. that was the Kohler's point but I don't think the product is bad I don't think it's any different people complain about the officiating every single season right. what difference is this year compared to other years no I mean, look, I, look I, I totally agree with that I, I just I just don't think at the top of the league this year specifically, and it might very well be because of injuries, Lance. I've not looked at all the teams, but I think you make a good point with that. Even the Packers are banged up. Sure. You yeah. know, the, the Bucks one. have been missing cornerbacks all year. You know, yeah. all that. All those teams at the top. You know, you just don't have, I think, those like two or three teams where you're like, all right, we know these. I mean, I could literally, Lance, put eight or nine teams' names in a hat, shuffle them up. Sure. And... It wouldn't surprise me if any of those eight teams were in the Super Bowl. But that's good, though, John. Oh, I would I'm, argue I'm, that's I'm, great. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just yeah. stating what the what where the league is right now. Yeah. Gag me, for God's sakes. 20-plus oh. teams in the quicksand of mediocrity, and they're all drowning. Well, so, so, Paul, basically what you're arguing uh, is you want— Let's not want, do this. Let's go back to the No, but see, Paul, see, this is the problem. No, when no, somebody but, disagrees no. with you, you never want to just talk no, it out. No, no, just want Because it's a waste of time. It's not a waste of time. It's a different perspective. That's all it is. No, no, not. Paul Paul isn't saying that your opinion is wrong. He just I, and I happen to agree with him in this case. I just don't think this is a good. We have thirty four minutes to talk about a Giants Dolphins game. I don't think it's a good idea to no, take ten minutes is, to talk this about this. Isn't the place for it. That's fine. You know what right, I'm saying? Let's move on then. Listen, it is what it is. It, it happens with every conversation, so it's nothing new. <laughs> let's go to Rick in Tampa Bay. He's up next. Rick, what's going on? Hello, Hello. gentlemen. What's up, Hi. Rick? How you doing? I'm actually, um, heading to the airport in a couple hours to come up to your way. So I'm leaving 80 degrees to come to 35. What's wrong with you? <laughs> uh, I, I actually coming up for my, uh, believe it or not, 40 year high school reunion. So oh, I, I'm actually going to one. Yeah, uh, right in Jersey there, right in uh, Mont uh, Cedar Grove area. Have fun. So. Yeah, it'll be fun. I haven't been to any of them, so it'll be kind of nice. But I'm kind of going solo. My wife. Uh, Work wouldn't let her go last second, so I'm kind of flying up there. But it'll be fun to visit the family, too, while I'm up there. But uh, I figured I'd get a quick uh, Giants comment here uh, into the weekend. I have a technical question I want to ask you as well, because uh, Howard Cross was talking about route running when he was talking about um, uh, the kid from uh, Alabama. Uh, but first of all, regarding Daniel Jones not playing and Glennon playing was a journeyman, uh, it's a, a winnable game, obviously, but it's 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 sad because it's it's not like we have any backup that's going to say, well, we could see how great he could do and this and that because Daniel Jones has been getting hurt a lot lately, uh, and Daniel Jones for what these last couple of years is really looking to me like he's just not the answer, and the answer is definitely not in the top ten draft picks next year either. So it's like we're either going to be stuck with him or we're going to have to hope that he improves which I, I'm, I'm really seeing uh, not that. And so I have two general questions. One is just a, as a fan, as a side, if Russell Wilson was available, if we, if we could plug him in next year as the Giants quarterback, would you do it? That's my first question. Because that's, I always see that being an answer if for not Daniel Jones. Well, and, well, 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 Rick, honestly, and I'll just leave it. I think I'd speak for Lance and Paul here, and I'll be, I'll be short. 
One, we need to see how Russell Wilson plays the rest of the year because he's been terrible since he got back. And then number two, we also have to see what the asking price is going to be in a situation like that or if he's even available at all. So I think until we know the answer to those two questions, it's a pure hypothetical. Okay, hypothetical, but it would be something I think would be a good fit. Okay, second question is regarding route running. I have a question for you regarding that cut. When you say, well, he he, he came out of college, he's not a a polished route runner. Does that mean – because I, I quarterback and stuff, or and I and I, I was a wide receiver fooling around kind of stuff, and I know how to do a down and out and a slant and all that, and I know how to do a route. Is that does that mean that he can't get the concept of running the route, or is it just that it's not as concise that the quarterback in him? What does that exactly mean? Because I would think you're running a route, a deep route, uh, uh, an over the middle, a uh, down and out, the curl those kind of things should be relatively understandable to do. So what does that exactly mean, if you could clarify that, when it says that a guy can or cannot run routes that well? No, great, good question. I, th- I think there are a lot of parts to it. There are a lot of aspects to route running. One is your ability to get off the line of scrimmage, and there's an art to that. It's not just physical ability. What's your release like? At the top of the route, how quickly do you come in and out of your breaks? Do you settle in and change direction? Um, how, dis- how, how well do you deceive coming in and out of your breaks, your change of direction ability? Um, do you properly telegraph to the quarterback but not the defense what your intentions are? Do you consistently run routes the right length and distance and have a good feel adjusting to the leverage of the cornerback? You know, all those things put together is what makes a guy a good route runner. Okay. So it's everything. It's not just the actual route. Because I was thinking, I'm like, well, I mean, Far you're doing from down it. and out. Seriously. What? I mean, you said you, you played receiver in high school? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so adding to John's list, there's the acceleration and deceleration aspect of the route. Okay. There's also the sharpness of the cut. Okay. Right. If you're running across or an in-cut, well, now when you plant and you make that cut, when they talk about guys cutting on a dime – well, when they talked right. about a dig route, that receiver has to be able to break that sucker off at the exact angle exactly when he wants to do it without right. hesitation. And be parallel to the line of scrimmage. Exactly. Don't fade yeah. out right. or fade right. back. Make sure. Right. So there, there's so much. And, and even the last part, which is kind of not really route running, but it's the last part, when you finish it off, your ball skills in terms of how you finish off that route. Because if you don't, Use your body properly when you have a chance to shield the defensive back. As you're running the last part of your route when the ball is coming in, you're going to give that defensive back a better chance to attack the ball. Well, and one, one part of it that is route running is, is attacking the ball when it comes to you, right? It's, it's not letting the ball eat you up. It's getting your hands out there well, and attacking the football. Body position right. and then making sure that you actually, as you say, attack the ball. That's, right. ball. that's ball skills. It's kind of the end of the route. It's not part of the route, but it's the end of the route. And, Rick, basically to sum it up, it's all the ways you create Everything. separation but except speed, right? So can you do all those little things that allow you to create separation other than your top speed? The other thing right. is well, guys, well, guys, too, with their eyes. There are some receivers because they know that some defensive backs will play their eyes. Yeah. So how, do, how can you also not screw up and give away too much with your eyes when the defensive back is playing off of you? Yeah. There's a lot that goes into this. 
Okay. Okay. All right. Because I know Howard Cross is comparing Waddle and how he's just strictly speed, and that's well, what you're just saying. He's a Bama guy. He loves Waddle. He can't help himself. I mean, I don't, I don't think Waddle's a bad route runner. No, he's very good. Yeah. He, he's, 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 he's not the other guy. He isn't Devonta Smith route runner. He's not runner, Devonta but he's Smith. A, yeah. But he's, he's, he, he, he's a better route runner than Ruggs, though. Yes. Yeah. Right, and um, again, it's like, is he not cutting the corner quick, uh, sharp enough? Is that why he wasn't a good route runner? So that was my question. It's all that stuff we just talked about. Thank you, Ray. It's also how a team utilizes a receiver, too. You know, what they ask them to do within the offense. Sometimes, you know, they won't have the receiver run the entire route tree because of how they're utilizing them. You know, that's another well, key that's element to play. Utilizing the player that has nothing to do with his ability to run what's been asked. Well, I think, no, Lance's but I point, was, if a guy can't run routes, you're not going to ask him to do a lot of those things. That's a good point. Right. Yeah, yeah, and also with respect to Jalen Waddle, who also hasn't even finished his rookie year, to make judgments about his route running when he's still in his developmental stage. I think we're getting too far ahead of ourselves because the Dolphins are just tapping into how they want to utilize him. Real interesting that was really thing about Waddle. Did this surprise you, John? For a guy who runs in the four threes, right? He's got three catches this year of longer than 35 yards. Yeah, I think that's an offensive line. Okay. Issue. And yeah, and a his, two issue. A, right? And his average yards per catch is under 10 yards a catch. 8.9 or 9.8. It, something uh, like that. I forget. It boggles the mind when you consider. Now, I get it. The quick release, the quick routes, short stuff, trying to dump it to him. But for a guy with his kind of speed, you would think he would have a little bit of, of a higher average yards per catch because there would be enough of opportunities yeah. for him to break something with yak yardage that it would raise the level of the average. I hear you. I mean, when I watch him, I, I still see the explosiveness, so that, so that doesn't He's worry dangerous, me. and you don't want to miss a tackle on him. I, th- I, th- I think that's more scheme and, and quarterback it's pretty wild, set, to though. be honest with you. All right, 201-939-4513. I'm going to step out here, guys. I will hand it over to Lance and Paul the rest of the way. I'll read the last piece of copy, though, before I do. Please do. Giant fans taking all the action in New York Giants football from your own private suite. Giant suites are a great way to entertain the family and friends while rooting on your Giants at MetLife Stadium. Speak with a Giant suite representative now by calling 888-NYG-1925. I will step away, but before I do, Big Ed in Maryland. You're on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's up, Big Ed? What's up, guys? How y'all doing? Wow, you're excited. Yeah. Good to talk to you, man. How was your turkey? Oh, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. Good, good. I got to watch the Cowboys lose to the Raiders. You know, that was really good. That was always good. So, I'm sitting here, right, and I was listening to y'all. Y'all can still hear me, right? Yeah, we got you, Big Ed. Oh, okay, cool, cool. So, I'm sitting here, and I was like, let me share one little thing. So, I watched the Philly game, right, in total silence. Like, I, I, I muted the volume because I wanted to understand some things. And I actually like what I saw, so it was beautiful for what they displayed. It was great for Big Mike. We love Mike. And when you guys see Mike at some point, yeah, tell him Big Ed say hello. And he's so proud of him and so thankful for everything that he's done since he's been a big bluer. It's been just unlimitedly wonderful, okay? It's a good now, day. I'm, look, um, I'm trying to figure out, like, okay, first of all, I answer this quick question. Um, all the t- what tight ends are playing besides Ingram? Right now, it looks like Myrick yeah. is the only other one. Yeah, I mean Rudolph and Caden well, Smith are banged up at this l- point. Let me correct myself. They Rudolph Rudolph was mm-hmm. limited yesterday, and he was out there this morning during the media portion. So I would say he's got a chance to play. Yeah, but he's gonna get limited snaps since every time you got you know you don't practice so much, you're definitely not gonna play. I mean that's just good health risk to be careful, you know. As far as that goes, 
Well, so each player is different. Right. I mean, it depends on how they're protecting the player. I think we'll know more, obviously, when the injury report comes out later today. One thing, Baguette, I don't want right. to belabor this, but one thing that Joe Judge said yesterday mm. when he was asked about Daniel Jones, when we, the, uh-huh. the question was, how do you feel about putting a guy into a game on Sunday if he hasn't played during the course of the week? Because the rule of thumb is usually if you don't practice, uh, a lot of coaches will say you you're just play. not going to get to play. And Judge said right. flat out, it depends on the player because I know if a certain guy is really prepared and I know he knows his stuff, he's got the playbook down, and he's the kind of guy who can go in there without any practice time and still get the job done, I would always consider letting him play on Sunday without practice. And he said Daniel Jones was one of those guys. No one asked him about Rudolph. I would suspect Kyle Rudolph is one of those guys too. All right. Okay. Oh, yeah, Paulie, I don't know if you're going to the game or not. No, I'm not. I can't, no protocols say I can't go on the road yet. So maybe next oh, year. Okay. Right. Okay, so you can still communicate to say this. Um, two is left-handed. And I was a quarterback at one point. So, and I'm right-handed. So if I'm throwing, most of the time I'm throwing to the left. So if a left-hand quarterback, he's going to throw much to the right. I know that should make sense. No, so I, like, actually, the quarterbacks usually like to favor throws to their own side, yeah. especially if they're right. getting pressure. Tua, if you look at Tua's numbers, they're very unbalanced. He he definitely mm-hmm. favors throws to the left side of the offense because he is a lefty. Right. Oh, okay. So looking at their losses that they've had, what was the key to their losses, to the Dolphins' losses, the seven losses they got? Would you would you pinpoint that? Uh, I have not gone through the tape of all seven losses. I can tell you I've gone through some right. cut-ups of their last few games, and unfortunately they're on a four-game winning streak. So I know, and that's tough. <laughs> so it's well, kind of remember, tough. Yeah, Tua didn't play every single game during the losing streak. Yeah, Jacoby, Jacoby Brissett, Brissett was the starter yeah. for the bulk of it. Yeah. So they didn't have consistency at quarterback yeah. is one thing that you could point to. And the defense is playing much better. And they're running yeah. the ball a little bit, too, yeah. now. It, you know what, Big Ed, seriously, mm-hmm. the Dolphins are a mm-hmm. different team than they were four, five, six weeks ago. And quite frankly, I think the Giants are a little bit of a different team, too. Definitely. Definitely. Because we've been on a win streak, too. So well, it's three like, out of five look. isn't exactly a win <laughs> yeah, streak, I mean, but I, I, I get the point. Yeah, it's certainly, it's certainly get, pointing man. upwards. It's, it's pointing <laughs> upwards. Yeah. All right, Big Ed, right. appreciate the phone call. Thanks hey, look, so much guys, for thank waiting. You, man. Yep, you got uh, it. Oh, 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 real quick, yeah. real quick. Real quick. Um, um, I'm, I'm turning 50, a couple weeks. Congrats. But I'm, my, my destination is to be at the Dallas game. So I expect to see you guys. We'll be on the stage, the MetLife stage. Lance, me, yep, and Jeff, yep, and yep. John, and freezing our butts off probably, right? <laughs> yeah, we, um, we all freeze together like we always all do. All right. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, all right, we'll, we'll see you there. Sounds good. Let's uh, head back to the lines. Roberto is in Connecticut. Roberto, what's happening? Hey, how you guys doing? Uh, you guys have a great show. I'm, I'm happy to be on the air with you. Hi. Well, thanks thank for you. tuning in. So what do you got for us? Uh, so I had a, a few questions. Uh, the first was about uh, Mike Glennon. I don't really know much about him. I like, I like Daniel Jones, though I do miss Eli because I've always been a big Eli fan. But I was just listening to you guys talk about the skills that Glennon had, and I was just wondering what, if you could speak to the differences that would make Jones the starter versus Glennon, and is Glennon start good enough to be a starter elsewhere in the league? Uh, that was my first question. Uh, my second question was, um, in the offseason, the Giants did spend the money that they did on Galladay, 
and they've spent big money on free agents in the past. And the other day, a caller asked uh, when Howard Cross was on the air, um, what is the success for teams? Is there a trend in the success for teams when they spend big money in the offseason? How quickly do they get a return on that investment? Is it a season? Is it a couple seasons uh, before those guys make an impact? And then my, my final question, and, I, and I'll take all these off the air if you guys don't mind, uh, was uh, I, I kind of felt that Victor Cruz, when he played his last season with the Giants, was overshadowed a little by OBJ's demand for the ball during his time with the Giants. Do you think that Victor still had some years left in the tank or that he would even say that um, and that he didn't have the chance to get the targets he probably could have made something with? Or do you think that he wasn't getting the same kind of separation that he was accustomed to prior to his injury the last season he played with Big Blue? And uh, thank you, gentlemen. Have a wonderful Friday and weekend. All right. Well, appreciate the phone call. A lot there. I mean, we could start with the last one. We could work our way back. I think in terms of the usage of Victor Cruz, I think it had to more to do with injury than anything else towards the latter part of his career. I mean, remember, he tore his patellar tendon, which was a serious injury in 2014. And then that was pretty much coinciding when Odell arrived. So you had Odell entering the peak of his career, Victor working his way back from a significant injury. Remember, it took him quite some time to get back on the field. So I would pinpoint it, Paul, on the fact that I don't think Victor was the player he was post-injury, and that's a big reason why Odell became the guy. I totally agree with you, Lance. And the other thing I would say, too, is that Victor Cruz, also, if you recall, before Sterling Shepard, he was a slot guy. Did a lot of his work out of the slot. And when Shepard came here... You know, it was a little while before all of a sudden they realized, well, this guy could be one of the best slot receivers in the NFC or if not the NFL. And so when Victor came back from the injury, you remember he was playing out on the boundary. He was not a slot guy anymore. That spot was now occupied by Sterling Shepard. And Victor's skill set wasn't as suited for the outside as it was inside. And so he was a little bit out of position and with the combination of the injury. Lance, the truth of the matter is his productivity was going to suffer. Yeah, 100%. I mean, the offense was obviously being geared towards Odell at that point in his career. And I also, once again, I just don't think Victor was the same player. No disrespect to Victor Cruz. No, it's just not you at go all. Through, when you tear your patellar tendon, if you just look at other players that have gone through that, even if you look at NBA players, the success rate following an injury like that is very limited. So he knew it was going to be an uphill battle, especially in terms of trying to get that speed back and that separation. As far as can I just add one thing, Lance? It was it was honestly a Herculean comeback for him to be able to come back like he did and play almost that entire season following the injury. The truth of the matter is most people don't even get close to doing what he was able to do. Even though he was a shell of himself, it was an amazing comeback, and he deserves a tremendous amount of credit for at least being able to do what he did. Well, because remember, he got hurt in 2014, and then he missed the 2015 Mm -hmm. season. He was thinking about coming back, and then they eventually ruled him out. So he didn't return until 2016. And it was amazing. It really was. You know, The fact that he was able to function at all. Yeah, it just also goes to show you how much time it takes to recover from a significant injury like that. It's a little bit different than the torn ACL. It's not the same, the patellar tendon. As far as the middle question, which was about when you go out and you sign a free agent, the timeline to get return on the value, it's going to vary from player to player. I don't really think there's one rule of thumb. For example, the Patriots went out, they got Matt Judon, who's been having a terrific season for them. So there's an example of you went out, you signed the free agent from Baltimore, he came in, he gave you immediately some return. 
then there's going to be some times where you go out and you get a free agent, he gets hurt year one, and maybe you gave him a multi-year deal, so you don't really see the true reward until the second season. And then there's other instances where, unfortunately, things don't work out. I really, to say that there's a generic label, Paul, where every player by week five, you should have an idea <laughs> of what you're going to get, yeah. you can't put a blueprint like that on it. I don't think there's there's any way you could possibly gauge with, with any logic certainty or rationale how soon a free agent or even a free agent class is going to give you the production that you desired because there are too many other factors on the field that impact your overall performance and the other thing that I'll throw out is I think we've also seen this winning free agency meaning going out spending a lot of money and bringing in a number of big names doesn't necessarily equate to wins. I think that we've seen. So that's another reason why you can't just assume that in X amount of weeks, I'm going to get a return. I think when it comes to building a truly successful franchise over the course of sustainability long term, I think you have to still be able to lean on the draft mm -hmm. and you can't constantly turn to free agency. I think that to me, there's more of an indication, but as far as individual free agents, you're going to see mixed results across the board. It really depends on the player and how that player is utilized within the system. No doubt. I concur. The other question was regarding Mike Glennon versus Daniel Jones, and we sort of tackled this a little bit off the top of the show in terms of how maybe the offense may change the different styles of the quarterbacks. Clearly, the biggest difference, Paul, between both of these QBs is Daniel has the mobility factor. Mike doesn't. No disrespect to Mike, but Mike's not going to be a guy that's going to roll out of the pocket and then run for, you know, 15 yards. So that's the biggest difference probably between the two of them. But Glennon, as far as, you know, whether he could start for other teams, if you look at over the course of his career, you know, Glennon has started for other teams. Remember, he got that deal with Chicago after he's with Tampa Bay. It didn't necessarily work out. He made four starts. Then he's been a journeyman since with a variety of teams. He's got a strong arm. Would a team give him a starting job? I don't know necessarily if the other 31 teams would look to Mike Glennon as an upgrade over what they currently have, but I think he's more than capable of starting in this league, and I think he's proven that based on the various offenses that he's been in. I would agree with you, Lance. I mean, over 60% uh, career completion percentage, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And I'm, I'm looking right now just at his career touchdown-to-interception ratio, 44-27. to 27. Now, you like to be at least 2-1. to one. If you can have three to one, that'd be even better. So he's he's not quite at two to one, but it's not it's not like he's one to one, you know. So I I would say this, okay. When you think about Mike Glennon, think more about not what he can't do, but what he can do, and what can he do? Well, he's been around this league for almost a decade. He has started a number of games. So he clearly has the maturity and the understanding of what he's got to do as a pro quarterback to win a game. And then the other thing that I think that's very critically important is he can make every throw in the route tree. He has a very strong arm. He throws a very tight spiral and a very catchable ball. So from a physical perspective, okay, he's a statue. He's Kurt Warner back there. He's Peyton Manning back there. He will not move. His feet will be cemented and nailed to the ground. But he can make all the throws with his arm. There's no question about that. Well, and that's why, in terms of his limited mobility that you were hitting on, listen, it's important even when Daniel Jones is under center, but the play of the offensive line, Glennon's much more dependent on having time in which the offensive line presents that compared to Daniel and some of these other mobile quarterbacks, which I could argue, not to say that they want to operate with an offensive line that's struggling, but you can make up for that because of their ability to extend plays. So that, to me, is another dynamic, and when you're going up against a blitz-happy team, 
play in the trenches is extremely important, but Glenn, you can't expect Glennon to make up for if the offensive line struggles. With Daniel, you could say maybe he could buy you a little bit more time. You're not going to get that out of Glennon. No. That's another noticeable difference. No, no. There's no question about that, which is why not only do the Giants have to be really good with their communication, and it's not just about the offensive line, but it's about those receivers with the hot reads. It's about the running backs making sure that they see where the potential blitzer could be coming because they may have to be a picker-upper. I mean, this this is going to require a lot, and I mean a lot of film study, book work, yeah. And and guys being on the same page to give Mike Glennon a chance to get rid of the ball. And, you know, if they do at least a reasonably well job of giving him a chance to throw it, I think the Giants are going to be okay. Well, Glennon, we just talked about it. He's been with a variety of teams. He's had a lot of years in the NFL. He's seen a lot of film. Communication in terms of picking up the blitz, I don't think is going to be a major issue for Mike Glennon because, like I said, he's been exposed to that. Here's the other positive if you want to look at it through that lens, Paul. Remember, the last time he came into a game this year, Daniel Jones suffered the concussion. That was smack in the middle of the game. That week, he got no first-team reps. This week, because they knew going in Daniel wasn't 100%, Mike's actually received some work mm -hmm. with the first team. Yes. So that's good news because Mike's not going into sort of a blind situation. And Now, not only do I have to efficiently get this offense on track, but I'm also working with personnel that I haven't had a lot of prep with. Different story this week. So that's good news, especially as you mentioned, when you want to make sure the communication is crisp, you can argue, well, he's been in those situations in practice as they're preparing for the Dolphins blitz. The hot reads are so important sure. this yeah. week, Lance. And here's one interesting thing to keep in mind. Because Glennon's been the number two all season long, think about the guys he's been throwing to all year, Okay. He hasn't been throwing necessarily a lot to Galladay. He hasn't been throwing necessarily a lot to Ingram, but he's been throwing more to the backup receivers, the backup running backs, the backup tight ends. Think about those guys. That's why, to be frank with you, I really kind of hope that John Ross was active this week because I know that Glennon can get the deep ball to John Ross, and I know John Ross can go get it. And I know that they've thrown a lot of passes between the two of them. So all of those dynamics certainly come into play, and I think that pretty much addressed the three questions that the caller had. So let's move along here. Sal is in New York, joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Sal? Uh, is this me? Yes, you are on the air, Sal. What's happening? All right, this is uh, Sal from Upstate. And okay. uh, my question is, if you remember the last time the Giants played the Dolphins, it was in uh, 2018, right? And it was uh, Eli's last game. That was 2019. 19, yeah. yep. That was at Medlife Stadium, oh, correct? 19, yep. sorry. And uh, after Eli Manning left, uh, Alex Tanney came in, and he, and he uh, completed one pass. And he's now the Giants' uh, completion percentage uh, leader. Do you think the Giants are going to honor him this weekend? Sal, like, like honestly, Jersey? Did, did you really spend all this time on hold to ask us that question, honestly? I mean, that, that's the best thing that you came up with to ask us, in all seriousness? I mean, Sal. We could let go of the caller because, you know, I mean, this is absolutely ridiculous, Paul. When, you know, people spend this much time and this much resources to then ask us a question about whether or not they're going to honor Alex Tanney as the all-time completion leader in Giants history. I mean, seriously? <laughs> <laughs> I 
don't know what to say. Yeah, well, that that's basically my same response. I mean, you know, some people just have too much time on their hands. I mean, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable. We're trying to have a conversation here, which is actually related to Sunday, and, and this is the type of nonsense that we get. All right, well, moving on to actually more important subjects related to actually this game. As far as the weather, and I know this is one of your favorite topics, you know, that's another thing that I don't think a lot of people have brought up, Paul with mm-hmm. respect to this game. And the reason I'm bringing this up is, I mean, the Giants have been home for the last few games. They've been dealing, obviously, with the cold weather. Conditioning and the humidity is something that I just, I wouldn't necessarily overlook because it's more of an adjustment for the Giants this late in the season as opposed to the Dolphins under these circumstances. Well, sure. And I believe that's one of the reasons why after the game in Miami on Sunday, Joe Judge is taking his team to Arizona for the week. And they will practice all week long at a college facility in Arizona before finishing the week out next weekend in Los Angeles against the Chargers. And I truly believe that that's part of the reason why he's doing it, because he doesn't want to have them go from cold to warm for the game, back into the cold, back out to the West Coast, which, of course, is a travel deal, plus more warm weather. So I, I think that there's, there's quite a bit to be said for that. And even Patrick Graham, the defensive coordinator, said yesterday, you have to be more aware of guys making sure they have their fluids, they're, they're, they're getting their conditioning uh, in properly before the game, and that uh, you may even have to rotate a little bit more. Understanding yep. that these guys, you know, if, if a guy's huffing and puffing and he's coming to the sideline, he taps out, you better make sure that you're prepared for it. Well, and the Tampa Bay game, so they recently were in Florida for the Monday night game, so they've had a little bit of an exposure to this weather, but to me, now this is a during-the-day game as opposed to that one Paul was in prime time, so I think you're dealing with a little bit more of the weather conditions in this game compared to what you experience against Tampa Bay, and that's why I agree with you. I think the rotation and the amount of depth that you tap into in a game like this is extremely crucial, especially if, if we go back to the conversation we were having earlier in the program where if the Dolphins are going to try to put together those lengthy, methodical drives like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where you know they may put together 13, 14 play drives because they don't have that big chunk play, that big explosive play, that's more of a reason why you want to feel as if you can go to a variety of defensive linemen as well as secondary players because they may be on the field for a lengthy period of time under those circumstances. Well, if I were the Dolphins and I would seriously consider doing some of this, going with a hurry-up. Think about it, Lance. Sure. Especially if you believe that the Giants are at all gassed or winded at some point during the course of this game, I might just decide, okay, let's go hurry up. Let's see if we can just get this thing rolling, get the wheels moving downhill, and see if we can catch the Giants huffing and puffing on this drive. I would absolutely consider that. It's worth a shot. I mean, like I said, I don't think the weather is a huge thing, but I think it's noteworthy because when you, especially you have those Northeast teams go down to Florida later in the season when already, once again, they've built the calluses right to the cold weather, and now all of a sudden you're throwing them into a different environment. I just think it's, it's something noteworthy because Patrick Graham, I want to go back to what you were talking about. Patrick Graham actually, when he was speaking to the media the other day, I don't know if you remember him saying this, Paul, he said, you know, he tells his players – don't wait till you wake up the day of the game to go outside. He wants the guys to start to experience yeah. the weather right on Saturday mm-hmm. when they first travel to Miami so that they 
slowly get adjusted to it. And I think that makes sense because, once again, I think there is something to be said about a little bit of a shock to your body when you go from one end of the spectrum with weather to the complete opposite end of the spectrum. I totally concur with you. And I think that's very, very important that the Giants understand, you know, again, uh, is there like a magic pill you take? No. You just have to be aware of where you're at. The last thing you want is for a guy who's winded or truly needs a second. You don't want him staying in the game. You want him to tap out. If he's not ready for that next snap, you want to get him out of there so you can get a sub in the game. And that's why it'll be interesting to see, based on when you take into consideration the weather, where this game goes. Because I could see this, Paul, being a very grinded-out, low-scoring affair. Mm -hmm. Considering both of these offenses, right, have struggled for the most part to score. Even if you look at the Dolphins' win streak, in which their defense has held the opposition to 17 points or less. Okay, well, the Giants' defense has performed admirably too, but some of Miami's scores, Paul, have come. They had a block punt that they returned for a score, and then in the Ravens' game, Xavier Howard returned a fumble for a touchdown. So you have to take that into consideration. Some of their scoring during this win streak has come as a result of special teams and defense. So the point is, none of these offenses have lit up the scoreboard. Defenses have been playing better football would not surprise me if we're looking at a game that may be like the 23 to 17 barometer when it's all said. I don't and done. think that'd be surprising at all. It might even take only 17 points to win. Sure. I mean, seriously. Look, the average length of the Dolphins' offensive drives this year is six plays and just under 30 yards. Okay? That's their average length of offensive drive. And by comparison, the Giants are right around the same numbers. That should not surprise you. Again, two teams with troubles on their offensive line and in their running game. So, you know, by norm, this is not a Dolphins offense that will go 13 plays down the field and tire you out and kind of get you in a war of attrition situation. But what they certainly can do if they've got it in their repertoire, and I, I don't think that I've seen quite a, left, a lot of it, quite honestly, in the limited tape that I've watched so far, would be the hurry-up. That, that would be a way to see if you could test the Giants' conditioning situation or their resiliency. Because I, I just don't look at the Dolphins, despite the fact that they throw a lot of short stuff and the Giants are going to play a lot of shell, I still don't see the Dolphins as the kind of team that characteristically is going to take a dozen plays to march down the field. No, and I'm with you in terms of that hasn't necessarily been a blueprint for them. But remember, the thing that's happened in the National Football League this year, more so than maybe other years that we've seen, I've seen a team have the most miserable performance, completely out of character, and then the following week they look like an unrecognizable unit. So, you know, I wouldn't rule anything out this year in the NFL, especially with a Dolphins team that, once again, is starting to come into its own, is going up against a team that, is going to be without its starting quarterback. Does their philosophy, Paul, change because of how they view the Giants now? Not to say that mm. the Giants, once again, we were just talking about Mike Glennon, polished vet, I'm not saying that the Giants are not going to be able to move the ball and score points, but does Miami's philosophy now change because Daniel Jones isn't playing? I don't think, once again, you could dismiss that from the conversation. The personnel on the field dictates in terms of how teams want to counteract the opposition. Yeah, they'll come. They'll come after Glennon a lot with a lot more uh, frequency, uh, and probably even much more uh, in terms of uh, confusion with stunts and all this other stuff. They'll come at him a lot harder than they did. Uh, I, I would think they would have planned to go against Daniel Jones. We got pressures coming up in about a minute, Lance. So uh, if we can close it out, I got to run.
Okay, sounds good. All right, well, that'll wrap things up for us here on Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. A reminder that today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live is part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcasts. Game is Sunday. Pre-game will start 11.30 a.m. Eastern. You can hear it on Giants.com as well as on the WFAN Giants radio network in the New York, New Jersey metropolitan area. We'll be back up and running on Monday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the game, and we'll speak to you next week. Have a good one.